0: Got your Bible and you're ready to jump with me into into a little series that we're just pausing our study of the book of James for a few weeks so that we can do some specific application to all of the relationships in which we live. So it's the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And if you will uh, join me and let's just stand together, let's just read the Word of God, if you would, and it'll be on the screen. This is something that's been stuck in me ever since Good Friday, so I'm still stuck there. But read this with me, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed and he said to them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death stay here and watch with me and he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying oh my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as i will but as you will and he came to the disciples and he found them asleep and he said to peter what <laughs> you ever said that to anybody like what like does anybody ever disappoint you and not do what you think that they're supposed to do this is what could you not watch with me for one hour watch and pray lest you fall into temptation the spirit is indeed willing but the flesh is weak he went away again a second time and prayed saying oh my father if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it your will be done And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, he who betrays me is at hand. So I want to talk to you for a few weeks about the S word. The S word is not what you think it is it's the word submission it's just about as it's almost as dirty a word <laughs> the s word submission submission nobody wants to talk about this loaded word because you know if i was talking about leaders you know and i'm talking about leadership everybody would say great i'm a leader we all even if you have no position you understand that leadership is influence and that you have influence over someone so let's talk about leadership and encourage me and lift me up but to talk about submission i don't want to i don't i hate the s word i don't want to talk about that we don't we everybody wants to be a general everybody wants to be a ceo everybody wants to be large and in charge and be in control of everything even in the home even our children want to be in charge nobody submits there i don't want to eat that i don't want to do that i'm not going to bed i don't want to i'm not eating that right and they're in charge Even when it comes to God, we say things like, God, do this. God, do that. Even even we would say we're submitted to God, but we tell God what to do all the time. God, you said if I ask anything in my name, you would do it. So do it, God. So submission. This is going to be really interesting. I'm kind of intimidated and scared to death, but here we go. Are you ready to go with me? All right. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just speak to us somehow. Because, Lord, nothing can be accomplished. There's so much to accomplish And nothing can be accomplished without this key that we're so afraid of. And so, Lord, somehow uh, change the definitions and the wiring in our minds and help us to see things as you see them, that we may do what you want us to do. May we truly be submitted to you today somehow. And I ask you to fill us with your spirit, empty us of ourselves, and let us hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I live in a whole bunch of different worlds in my real life. I have all my pastor friends and my ministry friends and all the church circles that I run in. And then I have all these other friends like atheists and agnostics and people who work in the business world and people who totally totally different world. The two worlds are totally different. And, you know, you realize after a while that even though we speak the same language, it's the same language that the meanings of words and the differences in culture and the distinctives between the two are completely, uh, uh, they're they're just different. And if you're going to speak into each world, you have to speak with a certain amount of wisdom. Some people think I'll just talk the same way to everybody, and they don't accomplish much. Because you realize that you have to speak a certain way to whatever particular culture, uh, to the distinctives of that culture to which you're speaking. And so... As I go through these different worlds and I see these different audiences that I talk to, I understand that even though I'm speaking the same languages, there are different inferences and different meanings to the words that we use. And because now we are living in an age, though, where we have the internet and blogs and Facebook and Twitter, all these words co- worlds collide and people get to hear each other think. And what is a blessing in one world turns out to be a curse in another, and all kind of conflict ensues when the worlds start to collide, and people's language doesn't get adjusted. So, for example, just a few years ago, a major denomination in our country decided to have a conference, a church convention on family values and on marriage and on wives submitting to their husbands, which, you know, most theologians would concur, and they would look and say, well, that's Ephesians chapter 6, and they would talk about these very same things. The problem was they were thinking as if they were thinking in their own little group and the world heard all of their conversation. And so because the world heard, suddenly there was this great conflict and this great outcry. There must not have been a lot on the news in the world that week because suddenly everybody was talking about, you know, the word submission and how degrading and how demeaning and how uh, disgusting and how terrible this word was. All kinds of women were greatly offended. Like, I'm not submitting to any man. I'm not submitting to anyone. And all the talk shows got on it. Larry King got on it. People were on this for weeks. Everybody insulted and and drained and upset because nobody wants to use this, I I hate this word, the S word. And yet, if nobody submits, nothing gets accomplished in life. One of my kids wants to go to TGI Fridays. One of them wants to go to Mexican. One wants to eat a home-cooked meal. We're all in the car. And if nobody submits, we just sit there and go nowhere. Nothing happens. In reality, if the truth were told, you you have to be very strong to submit. The person that walks away from the argument is so much stronger than the person who just reacts and stays in there and argues stubbornly. When you're weak, you have to have it your way or you're never happy. You have to be strong enough to see the greater good of accomplishment, and you say to yourself, well, if this is what it's going to take for us to get here, then this is what I'm going to have to do, then this is what I will do for us to achieve this together. To go to the next level, you have to have the perspective, and you have to have strength, and you have to realize that there are some purposes that are greater that are worth working together for. But we want to be in charge, and we want to be in authority. But the scripture documents that one of the leaders that Jesus praised the most was a man who came along who said, I am in authority over many, but I am also under authority. And you see, you have to have both. You have to have both. You've got to be in authority, but you also have to be under authority because they say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so you've all seen the tyrants and the things that happen when one person, it's dangerous to be submitted to a person who is absolutely unaccountable to anyone. You see, when you're not under authority, you lose touch with what it's like. Uh, to be among the people that have to follow. You make mandates that aren't realistic and people then can't uh, identify with you and you've lost the perception of what it's like to carry out the very orders that you give. So when God trains you for leadership, he will bring you to a place of serving. He'll bring you to a place of service, an opportunity to serve so that you will have some empathy and some sensibility of what it's like To be one of those who serve, you have to be both in and under authority or you become a tyrant. And the world has taught us all kinds of lessons of what it's like when people have unrestricted total authority and absolute power. They abuse that power over and over and over again. So whether they're running a prison or whether they're holding some people captive or whether they're running a football team or whether they're running a homeowners association, anywhere in life, When you see people with power that's out of uh, authority, crazy, bizarre, strange abuses happen because they're not submitted. So I begin this discussion with us, very much aware that this is such an enormous topic. It covers, it pertains to everything in life. It's so huge. Submission pertains to why we can't hold our families together to why we can't have unity and harmony in the workplace and on the job or in our churches or why we can't even have unity in our country. We can't even be civil to one another anymore. There aren't even any more rules of how to uh, responsibly disagree. Everybody's, it's like the whole country is the big one big crab bucket and one person starts to rise up and everybody, the claw reach-ups to grab the person and pull them back down. Everybody's hating on everyone. We can't get anything done. And we can't get anything done in the family, we don't get anything done in our communities, in our churches, in our nation, because everybody wants to be in charge, and everybody has an opinion, and everybody wants to be right, and everybody is sort of a self-enthroned egoist where they are king in their own mind about what is right and what is wrong. And so how can anybody lead you? And how could anybody help you? And how could you follow anyone? How could you teach somebody who's omniscient? How do you lead somebody who's all-knowing, who's always right, who's never wrong, who always has it figured out? And so as we dive into this today, where do we begin? Let's start with the area to which we should have the least amount of resistance, and that would be submission to God, because after all, if there's anybody that we should be okay to submit to, it should be God, because we trust God, right? I mean, we came here this morning to worship God, and we trust in God, and people say, well, that's right, I trust in God. I don't trust in man, but I trust in God. You know, I, sub- I submit to God, but to nobody else. And we say that, and that's all good, unless God is telling us stuff, as long as God is telling us stuff that we want to do. As long as he's not telling us stuff we don't want to do. As long as he talks to us about prosperity and growing and being free and being liberated and being in charge and being, um, you know, everything working out and going in our direction, we're good. And people have learned that, I, that, that they want to hear what they want to hear. So even in America today, you have the phenomenon of people going from different church to different church to different church to hear what it is that they want to hear. God forbid the kids have to eat something they don't want to eat. So I want to keep it interesting, right? We want to keep it relevant and make sure that, that, I, that I like what I'm hearing because if I don't like what I'm hearing, I don't have to stay. I don't, I don't have to like, I'm not going to eat what I don't want to eat, right? And so you have... The church in America responding to this and, and becoming adapted to this, that, that we're responding to what the kids want to eat for dinner, responding according to what everybody feels is what, whatever they're in the mood for, and we wonder, why are we not growing, and why are we not moving forward? Because we've been eating chicken McNuggets for 10 years. Why aren't we moving forward? God forbid you know that, uh, you know, that anybody should say something that might be remotely challenging. You have so few leaders in the church today and so few parents in the home. God forbid that the kid might not like me. (laughs) I don't want to eat that. And so where do we go with this? If the God who was in control, who said, let there be light, and stood on nothing and said, let there be something, and who created everything that we have, and and who one day would come into this world and then wake up on a boat and say to the winds and the waves, be still, peace, be still, and they had to obey him. If he had to come and submit, then who are we to think that we're going to go through our whole lives and not have to submit to anybody? What God has joined together, we say, Let no one separate. Isn't that what we say at every, well, nobody has to separate it because we'll just do that for ourselves. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And you can't have unity without submission. You can't have collaboration without submission. You can't accomplish anything. You can't have order in a company, or in a church, or on a project, or any kind of venture without submission. Two companies will come and try to merge together. If there's going to be a successful merger, then somebody's going to step up, and somebody's gonna step down. If everybody wants to be the CEO, the whole thing falls apart. Nothing works without some order. And we realize that submission itself is not a word of, of essence. It's, it's a word of function, that there must be submission in order for anything to work. And the opposite of that, uh, of that function is stubbornness and resistance and rebellion and this sort of anti-God spirit, which basically says, if I don't feel it, I'm not doing it. So as long as Jesus... Was headed for what people thought was a triumphant victory, like he was going to overthrow Rome. He was he was doing things that nobody had seen, and they thought that he was going to set up his kingdom on earth, and he was going to be this incredible leader. Everybody wanted to be around him. Everybody wanted to be with him. Everybody wanted to be on his team, and they would say, "Well, I don't mind serving with Jesus. I don't mind passing out some fish here and being a waiter every once in a while and passing out some bread. No problem, submitting. But what I really want to know is who's going to be on the right and who's going." going to be on his left, who's going to come into the place of power, and when he comes in for his throne, I want to know who's going to be at the head of the table, and who's going to be at the right, and who's going to sit on his left, because what flesh wants is to be acknowledged, and when flesh does not get acknowledged, flesh gets mad. This was supposed to be my position, so they're arguing, right, leading up to this moment, all the disciples fighting, arguing, who's going to be at his right, and who's going to be at his left? Until they found out that he was going to a cross, and when they found out he was going to a cross, you couldn't get anybody to be on his right or on his left. In fact, they had to force two people to be on his right and on his left. Everybody wants to be somebody who's with somebody who's on their way up, but let somebody start to struggle, and the crowd evaporates. And so God starts coming into the—he comes into the world, Emmanuel, God with us. In power, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead. You run out of wine at your wedding, pfft, I got the hookup. Everything's going to be, you know, I'm, you know, everybody wants to be around Jesus, says things that nobody's ever heard. We never heard anybody teach like this. He's awesome. Never gets his feathers ruffled. He just kind of disappears, comes back, has the right thing to say. If somebody criticizes him, he's totally cool. He's got it. And if it were not for this story that we just read today, you wouldn't think that Jesus struggled with anything Because he has it all together. But he comes to a place called Gethsemane. A garden, an orchard of olive trees. Gethsemane, meaning the word means the place of pressing. Where they would press olives to extract the oil. By the way, the oil being a symbol of the Holy Spirit always in Scripture. The place of pressing. This is really good. And Jesus comes to this place of pressing. And I don't care who you are, how strong you are, how awesome your spiritual life is, how great your faith is. Someday in your life, you will come to your place of pressing. Everybody goes through gardens of Gethsemane. I've been there many times myself. Not physically, but I've been there. And he shows up, and there is no 5,000 people, and there's not even the 72. There's not even the 12. He takes three of his closest friends, Peter, the two sons of Zebedee. And he tells them, my heart is exceedingly sorrowful. I am struggling here. Just come be with me. Just watch with me. Just, just, just hang with me for just a few hours. And all of a sudden, we get a hold of the idea that Jesus is struggling with submitting to the will of his Father. And even though you won't find the word submission in this passage, you get the idea that he's struggling with it because God is telling him to do something that he doesn't want to do. And why would he be exceedingly sorrowful unto death? Why are you exceedingly sorrowful when you know you're only gonna have to endure something for three days? What is it that gets Jesus so sorrowful It's because he's not sure that he can handle what's coming. And don't just mistake and think that it's just the physical pain and the torture and the death that's coming. Because he who had no sin was now going to be made sin. He was going to have to take on everything that he hated. Everything he stood for, he he stood for, and what he stood against, he was now going to have to become. He was going to have to taste sin, and he is now going to eat something that he doesn't want to eat. And there's a big difference between being sorrowful and exceedingly sorrowful. It's not just a headache or he's just struggling. I mean, this is like I can't get the words out. I don't even know what to say. I'm distracted. There's, no, there's nothing that, you know, I don't care if we go to Marsh or Kroger. I, who cares? I, I just can't even think because of the pain that I'm going through. And when that, when you're in situations like that where you go through difficulty and trouble and you can't even articulate it, all you really want is for or some people that love you to be close by. And you may not even tell them what's going on, but you just want to be in their company. And so he says to these guys to whom he loves, the three, Peter, James, and John, just will you be with me and will you watch for even an hour? And he didn't ask them to be nailed on the cross. He just said, will you just stay awake with me for a little while? But before he could turn around, they've gone fast asleep. Have you ever been more committed to a relationship than the other person? Have you ever given more than you've gotten back? Have you ever been willing to die for something that the other person wasn't even willing to sleep, to to stay awake for? You see, people can be with you and not be with you. When the pressure is on, even the people who you think are the closest, but then you start to realize that this is what the sacrifice was really all about because look what it costs him to give it. it it's just amazing. A gift that is completely sacrificial for one may be pocket change for another. So Jesus tells a story You know, one time of a woman that gave two pennies and she said it was the greatest gift ever given. Why? Lots of people gave more but for her it was all that she had and so she gave everything. So it's not just uh, the gift it's the, it, it, that, that is the sacrifice. It's how Jesus felt about it. You see See, that's what makes his sacrifice for you and me so incredible it's not that he gave his life it's how he felt about giving his life in other words if it cost him nothing it would mean nothing so don't tell me that you're submitted to me when i say let's go get something to eat and that's what you wanted to do all along that's just agreement right. submission is when you do something that you do not want to do i am doing this because it's right it's but i don't want to do it it's not easy to be Jesus right here and to do what he did. Think about what it cost him. Think about later on how he would go to the cross and he would be beaten and whipped in the crown of thorns and stripped naked and be embarrassed and mocked and physical pain. Have you ever been mocked while you're hurting and how you wanna say something? He doesn't even open his mouth. If it wasn't for this story here, you would think Jesus breathes through that whole experience because he handles it with such strength and with such dignity and with such control. But here you realize what he really went through. And he's in the garden and he's crying out to his father, God, if it's possible for me, if if it's possible, if there's any other way, can I pass? Can Can I have it my way? Can I do it differently? I mean, I've done everything you've asked me to do, but Lord, can I do it my way? And there is no answer from God. And it's silent. And so he comes back to his disciples and he finds them asleep. And he's twice disappointed because God's not talking to him. And people that he counted on to be there for him aren't even paying attention. Have you ever been between a rock and a hard place? And so here he is in this place of pressing. And he's disappointed on both sides in a rock and a hard place. I don't know why I'm like this. But it must be something handed down from my dad, who was the son of immigrant German farmers who went through the Depression. I can't throw away the roll of toothpaste or the tube of toothpaste. It gets down to the end, and I should just throw it out and get a new one. But I got three or four of these in the drawer. Why? Because I keep rolling them and keep squeezing them and keep trying to get that last little bit out. I mean, it's all the way rolled up, and I'll press it one more time just to get one more little bit out. And we're in a recession, but it's not like that bad, right? But I just feel I love to get just one more little ounce, rolling it one more time. And some of you, that's what it feels like. You're squeezed and you're rolled over and over and over again. And you're just saying, is this really necessary just to get one more thing squeezed out of this? And Jesus is like this. He's praying three times and God is silent. It's like Paul who prayed three times, God, let this, let this cup pass for me, uh, Jesus said. And Paul says, God, three times I asked, get the thorn out of my flesh. I don't want it. And see, when you pray for the deepest things in life, it's never solved easily. It's never instantaneous. It's hard. It's deep prayers. God, will you please help me? And it doesn't just change overnight. God, will you get me out of this? Is this really necessary? You understand that Jesus' whole point of view is, God, I don't want to do this. Can I, can I not do this? And God's perspective is, you have to go through this. And so Jesus is over here going, but God, I don't, I don't want to go through it. Is there any other way? And so here's my big premise and my question for you that I want you to remember. This is the whole message. What do you do? when the will of God is something you don't want to do? That's the question. It's a question I want you to think about all week. As we get into this subject, what do you do when the will of God is something that you don't want to do? And here's what's interesting, because when you get on the same agenda with God and you want what God wants, it's exhilarating. It's amazing. It's like, yes, I love doing the will of God. If you've ever had that experience where you know God wants you to do something and you do it willingly and it's great, it's exciting. Jesus has this back in John chapter 4 where there's the woman at the well and he's tired and he's worn out and he's hungry and he's just beat up from his whole trip. And this woman comes along and he just finds the strength to minister to her anyway. The disciples come back with food and he's like, I don't need any food. I've got food, you know. Nothing about and they say who brought you food and he goes to do the will of my father that's all the food that I need in other words doing the will of God is feeding him it's making him it's exhilarating to him in one season of his life to do the will of God is exciting in another season of his life when God is telling him something that he doesn't want to do it's draining the life out of him it's putting him in total agony I want you to know as a believer you're going to have both of those experiences So what do you do when God leads you to the place where his will is something that you don't want to do? He starts asking, God, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can continue. If it's possible, let your cup pass for me. He goes back, sees the disciples are asleep, disappointed. But he goes back and his prayer is a little bit different the second time. The first time it was, if it's possible, let it pass for me. The second time he says this. If the cup can't pass without me drinking of it, then your will be done. The first prayer is a question, the second prayer is a submission. God, I am totally willing. If it can't be any other way, then I am willing to do what you tell me to do. And it's amazing because you watch in this passage of the scripture, you see that just the pressure lifts. He's under all of this pressure and this agony and this, this the rolling and the squeezing. And then when he submits to God, it's like the pressure leaves because he comes back to check on the guys again. They're still sleeping, but this time it's like, you guys keep on sleeping. It's all right, go ahead, no problem. It doesn't matter anyway. I mean, the pressure is all God. It's like the whole disappointment factor has just kind of left, and he's accepted it, and he goes back and he prays it again the third time the same way. You see, when you're under all of that pressure, people aren't doing what you want them to do, and you're emotional, and you're saying, why won't they just get it? And all of that pressure and all of that drama, when you submit to God, it's the pressure just begins to go away, even though nothing has changed. But the pressure has changed, and you change so i have this trainer that helps me work out and his whole job is about submission okay his whole job is to make me submit to his pain every time i go in there and we're working out and i'm i'm working out this week and this huge pain starts to happen in my leg he's he's worked it out he's worked me to the point of exhaustion and so he lays me out on this table and he starts to work on this tendon and the harder he pushes the more i tense up because it hurts it hurts so bad i finally yell at him what are you doing because he's pushing so hard and he goes, "Would you just relax?" I go, "Easy for you to say." And I'm just resisting and he goes, "You know, if you would seriously, if you would relax the muscle when I push on it, the pain's going to go away." Well, I didn't really believe him, but he kept pushing and it hurt so bad and so finally I just went, I forced myself to relax my muscle and submit to the pressure he was putting on the tendon. And to my amazement, when I relaxed And I stopped resisting and fighting against it. The pressure on the tendon did its work. And the pain was gone. And see, this is what I think God is trying to say. Is when we're resisting, when we're kicking against the goads, when we're fighting him. And all that pressure is being resisted against. There is no peace. But when we submit to God, you'll be amazed at how the pressure with people dies down and how you won't need to have to have them do what you want to do. It's like, you know what, God, I've submitted to you. You're in charge. It's all going to work. I trust you. You're in control. The moment you stop resisting, the pressure goes. So let me ask you this morning, what is the Holy Spirit stirring up in you with all of this? What is he saying to you? What are you struggling with? What are you under pressure about? What are you convinced is not going the way that it should go? And it's creating all kinds of sleepless nights and got you all wrapped up. I want to pray for you this morning. I want you to pray with, for, to God and just talk to him for just a moment. So let's just bow our heads here and let's just talk to God. Open up your heart to him. Put aside your agenda and open up your heart to him this morning. Maybe you've been exceedingly sorrowful even. What are you wrestling with? Let me ask you this question. As you pray, how much of the struggle is your ego and how much is God? Will you, will you let pride and your will and your ego continue to be in the way? And you've let your mind run wild with all kinds of worst-case scenarios. You've talked with everybody trying to get them to see your side of the thing and your opinion. And I want to encourage you now. Stop playing God. Stop trying to control everything. Bring yourself to a place of surrender. Oh God, I submit to you this morning. God, I pray that you would give me the peace that I need as I say yes to you. Why don't you say that to him? Not my will, but yours be done, God. It's not what I want to do, but it's your will that matters. It's not about me today. What is it that he's saying to you? Are you willing to submit to him? Because I want to tell you, God will speak to people who want to do his will. God, I want to do your will. I don't understand it all, but I want to do what you say. Surrender to him. Do your business with him this morning. Father, in every sincere heart that is asking you for the courage to surrender to you, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the supernatural power that they need now. As they stop resisting, let the pressure decrease inside of them and teach them how to follow. Not my will, but your will. Lord. Thank you for your peace and the presence of your spirit right now in Jesus' name. This is gonna be really good. I hope you keep coming back. I hope this is gonna be really encouraging for you and make sense of something really complicated. Keep coming back. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor.